we we just we just went full full into this like yeah. this is gonna work we have faith in this let's get top tier talent let's get the production let's get the waste let's get everything perfectly yeah. and spare no expense because if we could make this work man what kind of change can we have in the world on the mental health level on building these wellness centers on lowering the barrier of entrepreneurship providing more jobs mm -hmm. like that's the vision of dirty dough mm -hmm. and we're just using cookies to get there because cookies are fun they're profitable they're, <laughs> they're good comfort food man they're yeah, comfort they're food comfort right food, yeah. um but again that's not what we're after at all but cookies are just helping us get there welcome everybody thank you so much for tuning into the thinking project this is your host dalton jensen and if this is your first time tuning in thank you so much for being here make sure that you're subscribed so that you can stay up to date with all the amazing entrepreneurs and business owners that will help you expand your mind and ultimately your business and opportunities if you're returning thank you so much make sure that you're subscribed all that good stuff i have an amazing guest for you today bennett maxwell and wade rasmussen both from dirty dough join me to sit down to talk about the operations behind the scenes and the mission of dirty dough as many of you know i've had bennett on before we talked a little bit about that we have a lot into sales in that previous episode so that'll be linked somewhere around here so you can check that out if you're into sales and dirty dough but today we learned all about dirty dough and how it works so if that's something you're interested in stay tuned if you're interested just in entrepreneurship stay tuned because it's an amazing episode with all that being said and without further ado Bennett Maxwell and Ray Rasmussen, thank you so much for tuning in. All right, guys. <laughs> well, Bennett, welcome back to the Thinking Project. Wade, nice to have you here. Thank you. Um, we're actually at your guys' new warehouse in Linden. We're at the new warehouse in Linden because I Our new warehouse. That's bro. right. That's Our right. new <laughs> warehouse. Um, and uh we, we're getting back on to kind of go into Dirty Dough a little bit deeper yeah. because last time Ben and I just talked about sales, but um, we got in a little bit of Dirty Dough, but let's just start from the beginning. So how did Dirty Dough get started? What was the goal behind it? All that good stuff, Bennett. Yeah. Three years ago. Um, so 2018, no, 2019, beginning of 2019, I was looking at getting a crumble franchise. I was like, cookies, never thought about it before, but I had a cousin in it. And I'm like, I'm going to explore it. And I started exploring it up until the point that I found out that it was owner operated only. And I thought, wait a second, like I wanted to add to my income. I didn't want to replace my income, especially considering that I was making decent money. And I'm like, well, this is just a trade off, you know? Um, so I turned down the opportunity to be a franchise because I looked at buying a franchise that you have to run full time as owning your own job. It's a great model for some people, but that's not my belief. Um, but it got me interested in cookies. Dirty Dough was founded by a guy that I went to high school with. And um, he posts on Facebook, hey, I have a cookie company. I do online orders only out of my apartment. And I want some money to open up an actual storefront. So I'm like, boom, there's a passive opportunity for me. Uh, I invested with him. He opened up a storefront in March of 2020. I just moved to San Diego. I started a solar company just a few months prior. And then Crumble opened up there. And they were crushing it in Point Loma. Lines out the doors around the corner. You know, heard a rumor that they were on track to do $3 million. I'm like, that is stupid for a cookie company. Tyler, let's get a dirty dough out in San Diego. I'm your guy. I'm going to franchise it. And long story short, he didn't want to franchise it. He was burnt out, wanted to move back to Utah, and he wanted to sell it. So at that point, <laughs> I think I just had listened to a podcast, and it was talking about true wealth and financial freedom is made through investing in real estate and businesses. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, I have maybe a handful of rental properties at the time. Never bought a business though. So I kind of like, let's give it a go. And the goal with it was I'm in San Diego running a solar company full time. And here I have a cookie company and this was out of Tempe, Arizona, never been in food. If I can buy this and run it from out of state without any prior experience while running another business, then man, isn't that a good model? How many other people would buy into that model? So that's how I, I jumped into Dirty Dough, bought it in the beginning of January of, or January, 2021. Mm-hmm. And just immediately went to work on making it as simple as possible. That's sweet. Um, and then, and then you kind of mentioned it, but the question that I had is like, why would somebody choose to franchise um, instead of like, and like, why did you franchise instead of like expanding? Right. Cause like there's a few companies, food companies who just like, you know, they'll, they'll have their GM open it. Right. Versus like franchise. Uh-huh. Um, the franchise model allows you to expand more quickly. Okay. Uh, cause you, you can get good, I guess, partnerships, right. They're paying you for the franchise, uh, and paying for the cost, and then they're running it and you're just providing the support. Which is a great model, by the well, way. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a win-win, right? We, <laughs> yeah. we provide support, um, which, again, I, at the time, I wasn't the guy to provide the support, but we'll get into it. We kind of <laughs> yeah. quickly built the team. And it was really kind of dumbing it down so anyone can do it. And I'll get to it a little bit later, but one of the goals is to lower the barrier of entry to entrepreneurship. Mm. To, to be an entrepreneur, you need a game plan. You need time, expertise, and money. Well, that's what a franchise is. is here's a game plan that's worked for other people. The time required to run one of these stores is a lot less because we don't require owner-operated. The expertise to, re- to run one of these stores is a lot less because we do a centralized production model, right? which we'll get into a little bit. And the money required is about half or less than half of the competition. So how do we make it as simple as possible? And it was identifying the pain points, waste and labor. That's what I was mm-hmm. dealing with. And we had three areas of waste that were really large, the raw ingredient waste. So I order blueberries and what do I do with my leftover blueberries after that cookie rotation is gone? Well, you throw them away. There's nothing else. It's not going to last three months till the next rotation. Then you have your raw ingredient waste or sorry, your mixing waste, meaning I have teenagers mixing the dough and they mess up. All right. Did they pack the flour? Did they scoop it? Did they leave air bubbles? How long did they mix it for? what speed of the, all these things that I thought was just like, follow the recipe. But no, even if you follow the recipe, apparently you can still mess <laughs> things up. Um, and they would met, mess up a batch at a time, several times a week, you're just throwing away the whole thing. And at the end of the night, what do you do with your leftover cookies? You throw them away. Yeah. Now on the labor side, we're mixing 60 to 70 cookies at a time in a 40 quart mixer. Not that, you know, small batches, that takes a lot of labor. Then we are going into, um, and you get a bin of dough and you just weigh it for five hours. Like you're just grabbing the dough. You put it on a scale, a little piece of dough till it weighs just right. You can roll it on the counter, form it by hand, put on the cookie sheet. And that man, even paying minimum wage in Arizona, $12 and 15 cents in, um, an hour, like that was eating up like 5% of our gross margin, just weighing it. So I'm like, okay, I know I need to figure out the waste and the labor. Now it was kind of how do, how do we do that? Yeah. That's crazy. And, and Wade, you're yeah. new. How did you get involved with dirty dough? So I actually met Bennett through a mutual friend. Uh, it's our VP of, of uh, production, Josh Steele. And uh, just mutual friend, he, he knew I had actually looked into doing a crumble franchise. I had actually looked into Twisted Sugar and a couple other options. I had heard how well these cookie franchises do and decided I wanted to look into it. And he connected me with Bennett. And, mm-hmm. you know, he just said, hey, I've got a buddy who's doing some, some dirty dough or some cookie shops. It's called Dirty Dough. And so at first I thought I was just going to be a franchisee 
and I was planning on opening three stores. And uh, when Bennett and I met, I felt like we had a very kind of similar, very task oriented, you know, we were getting stuff done really well together. And he put the opportunity in front of me to allow me to buy in as a partner. And I jumped at the opportunity. And um, honestly, it really was at that, at that time, the reason I wanted to jump in on it is because the efficiency was there. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that really got me sold on it was I went down to Tempe, Arizona, where that store was and saw the balling machine that was Mm -hmm. there. Because up to that point, it was, it was really impressive the different kinds of cookies they were doing because I wanted to get in on something that was different, that was better, that was special. When I was looking for an opportunity with a cookie franchise or cookie company, um, the thing that really did seem the most labor intensive, most tedious was the balling all the cookie dough by hand. You go into one of those shops and you've got however many teenagers, three, four, or five, just standing there balling cookie dough for hours and hours. And so when I went and saw the balling machine, um, it just cranked these cookie dough balls out and they were the exact same size, the exact same shape every single time they could do fillings, they could do multiple layers. It just, it created a unique product, but more than anything, it saved a ton of money. And that was, you know, the dollar signs went off in my eyes and I thought, oh my gosh, the profitability. And then what you can do is you can take that money that you're saving by saving all of that labor cost. You can put it in so many other things. You can put it into, obviously, that's it, it ups your return, your percentage of profitability, but you can put it into ad spend. You can open more stores. There, there's just no end to the amount of things you can do because your profitability has just increased. Mm-hmm. But not only that, with that, with that balling machine, you are creating a product nobody else can really copy. Yeah, what, and what stores are you part of? So I started the Vineyard Store and the Pleasant Grove Store. Mm, that's so. awesome. So now, let, now this is a question everybody asks, right? Are cookies a fad? Our answer to that is the, the cookie model is not new at all. So you take Mrs. Fields cookies, Great American cookies, Insomnia cookies. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Fields and Great American have been around for 45, 50 years. Insomnia cookies has been around for 20 plus years. So it's really nothing new. Um, recently there's been a big explosion, especially here in Utah, because several of them were founded here in Utah, but they've been around a long time. So is there a bit of a, uh, is there a bit of a lot of hype right now? Yes, but it's not a fad because they've been around since the 1970s. Now, what do you think, Bennett? I, I would, I would say we're in a cookie craze, not a cookie fad. Like <laughs> yeah, both of those companies started in 77. They sell <clears throat> multiple hundred locations and there's ups, ups and downs, right? Just like anything. Um, but Looking at where we're at right now, we, we are in a cookie craze. These, the competition is just destroying it. Crumble in particular, they're doing a really good job. They released their franchise disclosure documents for 2021. They had 115 stores reporting, and their average store did 1,687,000. Like, what? Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> that's man. insane, right? Uh, they, the high store did 3.6 <coughs> uh, 3. million, and the low store still did, I think it was 734,000. Now I'm pretty dang accurate with all my numbers, but <laughs> go online and check me, right? And it's like, wow, that's an incredible model. But me personally, I just don't, I don't think that's gonna last. What I'm looking for um, is a model that can be passed down generation to generation, creating generational wealth, right? And I mean, that's what Mrs. Fields have had franchisees for 45 years. Like that's cool, right? Yeah, like, you're passing cool. down a store to somebody else. And how do they last for so long? Well, they have the centralized model, right? They have the balling machine, things like that. So we looked at these two models. You have Crumble that has these gourmet, multi-flavored cookies. And then you have Mrs. Fields, Great American Cookie, 
that have kind of a plain cookie, but mm -hmm. they're, they operate out of a score, small score footage. They have, you know, lower cost of goods, low labor, all due to centralized production. So the challenge was, well, can we take the robust model of the centralized production, but still get a cookie that competes in the gourmet multi-flavored space? Mm -hmm. And that's what this machine did. We could do a three-layer cookie. Nobody knows what a three-layer cookie is because they don't exist. You look at a cookie and it's, it looks like a peanut butter cookie because it's peanut butter dough. <laughs> then you break it open, there's chocolate dough in the middle. And then there's hot fudge in the very center. Or we do another one that's brownie dough and then chocolate chip in the middle with caramel. It's like, where are you going to get that? The, well, there's the one with the, the uh, marshmallow in the middle. The mar oh, yeah. We do a lot with marshmallow. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good what sick. we do, like we have the s'mores cookie right now, yeah. right? You have a uh, brown sugar dough cookie. And then you have um, a chocolate cookie in the middle. Yeah. And in the very center, you have marshmallow. Yep. And it's like, that's, that's cool, good, yeah. right? So it gives us that more unique product. And another thing I want to touch on with the balling machine. Now, it re greatly reduced labor. But the, one of the biggest things on top of reducing labor was it also gave us, I mean, all of the, where's the turnover happening in restaurants, right? It's those tedious jobs yeah. that you're just constantly working for hours on it. And that was the balling, the baller position that you just balled dough for five hours. <laughs> Once we got rid of that, the turnover went super, super low. That means no more ads pushing them out, right? To, to hire people. That means no more interviewing, no more training, or I should say less, not no more, right? Um, less uniform expenses. So it's much more than just less labor. There's so much more that goes into it that yeah. increased the profitability while giving us a more unique product. So anyways, definitely think we're in a cookie craze. Don't think we're in a cookie fad. But to serve our franchisees the best, I mean, man, that would be my worst nightmare as a, as a franchisee comes in, they don't succeed and they're losing money on this, right? I, I want to deliver what I'm selling on them. And how do we deliver that? Well, we need a model that we just have a really low break-even point, right? So yeah. when sales aren't doing 1,687,000 on average, are we profitable at three quarters of a million? Are we profitable at half a million? And that's what we really needed to create. And that centralized production was definitely key yeah. to centralize everything. I like that. And, and since you've been in the stores, Wade, tell us about like how that break-even point is lowered. Like, what does that look like in real time? Well, and, and that's the genius of the model is with the centralized <clears throat> production, it's eliminated so much of the labor costs. So what I've seen in the stores is there's three basic positions. One is someone working to cashier the register someone being the baker and getting cookies in and out of the oven, and then another person decorating. And so you compare that to a traditional cookie store model. Or even like a crumble. Yeah. <clears throat> Where you walk in, there's like 10 of them on the floor, dude. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in, in lots of different cookie shops, they'll yeah. have so many employees in there working. And uh, in, our, in our model, because they're basically moving the cookie dough from the freezer to the oven to the decoration station or to the warmer, if there's not a customer right there. So Wade... Tell us how that lower break-even point works um, in your store. Like, because there's a lot of ways that you can do it. You know, obviously, uh, they had mentioned leasing and labor. Yep. So dive into that a little bit more. Yeah. So first of all, with the lease, um, most cookie shops are going to require 2,000 square feet or more because they're going to be mixing all the dough, stocking all the inventory, the flour, the sugar, the eggs, the butter. It just requires a lot more space. Not only that, they have a lot more employees working there at any given time. So you need more space for the employees. In our model, generally, we're going to be doing 1,000 to 1,200 square feet. So it's about half the size um, in most cases. So the, the lease cost is cut in half right then and there. So um, it gets rid of a lot of that cost. Is what <clears throat> it gets rid of a lot of that cost. 
the next biggest thing is labor because rather than needing 10 to 12 employees in there, mixing the dough, balling the dough, doing all the labor intensive steps to get flour and sugar and the raw goods to the point where it's a cookie, you're ready to hand to the customer. We're cutting out most of that process by having pre-made dough in the store. And the beautiful thing about it is the customer gets the exact same experience. They walk into the store, they get a fresh baked cookie, and the dough is actually going from the exact same spot. In all of the other cookie shops, they're pre-making the dough, but when it's finished, it goes into the fridge or the freezer until it's ready to be brought back out and baked. So it starts from the exact same position in our stores as well. We're just centralizing the production and then getting that out to the stores. Mm -hmm. So it eliminates all the labor. It cuts the least cost in half. And then it also eliminates a ton of the waste because we don't have to worry about some high school kid putting in salt (laughs) instead of sugar and ruining an entire batch. That would be the, that would be, or a a nail example or a nail. I saw that on TikTok. The screw. screw, (laughs) That's right, dude. How bananas. We literally have a metal detector (laughs) that we're installing this new facility. (laughs) And I'm like, why would we need a metal detector? And then I see there's a screw in a cookie. I was like, that was yeah, it went viral on TikTok. I remember that. Yeah. That was, that was bananas. And so with that, like, um, you know, the lower break even point, I know a big contributing factor to that is the centralized production, right? I know that like a lot of other companies have kind of gone towards that or, or what do you think? Yeah. yeah. yeah so better. go ahead. You have, it, it's kind of like if shit hits the fan, what's going to happen, yeah. right? If 2008 hits again, what's going to happen? Our cookie sales aren't going to be at a million and a half. They're not going to be at a million. How do we weather that storm? Yeah. Well, can we operate out of one with one employee? Yes, we can operate hundred percent with one employee. Yeah. And then you have a small lease payment, right? Like, uh, yeah, the average is 1,000 to 1,200. We just opened a store last week, 725 square feet, yep. 1,800 bucks a month. Like talking That's about nothing. lowering the risk, yep. there you go. And then the waste. So comparing the two models, we order a truckload of flour, sugar, butter at a time rather than a 50 pound sack, mm-hmm. right? So that's a 10 plus percent discount. Then rather than going through US Foods, Don Foods, Cisco, we go directly to the flour, sugar, or butter manufacturer, another 10 plus percent off. So reasonably, we're getting 20% off on our main ingredients compared to the competition. Then rather than mixing 60 to 70 cookies at a time, we mix 1,000 plus at a time. Rather than using a teenager, we use a highly trained and experienced baker. Rather than balling it by hand and having a very inconsistent product that's typically plain again you can't do a three-layer cookie by pan right you can't do tons of fillings by hand there are companies that try to do fillings and you just can't do it it's I mean, tough you can do it but if you get a lot of filling in there it's very very difficult where we can put way more filling in our product because it's the machine now go to any cookie company order a dozen cookies weigh them all they all weigh different so as an owner of a cookie shop how do you control your cost of goods so i mean it's just a, a much different experience having everything portioned by machine with professional bakers with lower cost of goods and then ship to the store. Mm-hmm. And then, so now again, what's going to, what's the worst case scenario? Well, you have way less waste coming back in the full loop, right? I, I said that we had three areas of waste, your raw ingredient waste. Well, that's completely eliminated in this model because you don't carry raw ingredients. Mm-hmm. You're oh crap. My, you know, 18 year old employee just messed up a batch of cookies. We have to throw that away a hundred percent eliminated because you're not mixing any cookies right? The third area of waste was we throw away cookies at the end of the night. Well, we already had um, a really good product that you put a warm cookie in a bowl with cold ice cream on top. Pairs really well. So it's like, well, we already have ice cream. We already have toppings. We already have cookies. How about we use the leftover cookies in a shake? And then we found a really easy shake machine. Rather than a blender, it's just a cup, right? That you're blending the, the day-old cookie with ice cream with a little bit of milk. 
Um, and at any given time, we have 16 flavors of shakes. Yeah. Chocolate, vanilla, plus eight uh, cookie flavors. And now we can repurpose most of the used cookies and almost eliminate, or I should say greatly reduce that last area of waste. Yeah. Um, so, and then the labor coming full scoop on that, obviously there is no more mixing, so there's no more labor for that and there's no more hand falling anything. So like the entire operations of the store um, and you know, because we've had you work in there. <laughs> yeah, dude. You walk real. in, you find a metal thing that's called a speed rack. <laughs> it carries cookie sheets and it has wheels on the bottom. You wheel it into the walk-in cooler. You grab 15 cookies, place them three by five on your pan, on your cookie sheet, roll it out, put it in the oven, press start. Right now, I mean, the oven's already pre-programmed. Time, mm -hmm. temperature, fan speed. Once the timer goes off, take out the cookies. Cookies are how, done. How do you mess that up? I mean, maybe you trip on the way, right? Maybe somebody pushes you, maybe you sneeze on the cookies, but I don't know. There's not many things you can do to mess right. up this process, right? right? Once they're done, you, they sit in a warmer for the next hour or so till a customer comes and eats them. So you're just mm -hmm. boxing them. But like, it really is super, super simple. And with the goal of one, making it as consistent as possible, but two, when this cookie craze dies down, are we profitable? Can we run the store with one employee, two employees, three employees, right? Mm. And yes, we can. We've, we've, we've proven that and we've been doing that. Yeah, that's insane. And, the, and that's just part of like that. To me, that's what I loved about Dirty Dough. Like when I first learned about it too, when we met on the podcast the first time was how just how simple it was. And, and my thing has always been because I've been in like sales and stuff is like simple doesn't mean easy. But in this case, it almost does. You know what I mean? Like simple mm -hmm. does mean pretty, pretty freaking easy. You know what I mean? Um, and, and you, and you still got to run a business, but why wouldn't you want to get your feet wet with a business like this? You know what I'm saying? And especially when you have the team, right? Like, um, hold on, let, let me see here. Oh yeah. Bennett, tell us about the team, man. <laughs> so we started kind of the big pivot point of dirty Doze. I, I just sold my solar company last year. And, you know, fell on top of the world, grew a company, sold it 18 months. And then somebody invites me to the startup course. I'm like, startup oh, course. Oh, yeah, that's right. The one in Provo? Lehigh. Lehigh. Okay. I think they do in Provo, too. Okay. Anyways, and I'm like, well, I don't need a startup course. Like, no, good thing I remembered that I'm an idiot, <laughs> and I decided to go. So I'm like, okay, I'm an idiot. Remember that. Go. So I went, and I, I learned a ton, and I learned yeah. what an advisory board was by a guy that started a company called Infospace. His name is John Richards. He's, I mean, lots of different companies, but that was his first big company. Took that public. It was valued at over 30 billion at its peak. And he's teaching me like how to grow a company like that. And I'm like, who's bet who better to run an advisory board than the guy teaching you how to run an advisory board? So yeah. I approached him. I'm like, dude, this is what we're doing. We have, you know, this a lot of interest already. We have a great model. He's like, I've never been in food. I'm typically a tech guy. I only accept to be on the advisory board of two or three companies at a time, but I'll give you guys a shot. So I'm like, yes, we landed John Richards. <laughs> like he's done not just InfoSpace, but he's hit a lot of other early stage advisors slash investors that have sold for hundreds of millions to multiple billion dollars. I'm like, we need him. Then he brings in Steve Hart, who owns Property Management Inc., largest property management franchise in the nation, yeah. which is super cool. Like he just texted me over the weekend. Hey, you and Wade should come to Scottsdale. We have several hundred <laughs> franchisees coming. You can see a three-day event, you know, because you guys are going to be running one of these next year. And it's like, Super cool, right? Like oh, how dang. do we, we don't have to do anything for the first time per se, right? It's the first yeah. time for dirty. Yeah. And then we also, and then we brought on the last advisor is Eric Van Horn. Um, he's got the largest franchise podcast. So sick. Eric's, Eric's awesome. Franchise secrets. And then he also owns the largest franchise or mastermind group. 
largest franchisee mastermind group, one of the top brokers in the nation. Like you can't find a guy with more experience in the franchising <laughs> and like more well-known than Eric. So we brought him on as well. Um, anyway, so we built a really good advisory board and now let's go get the team. So Wade came on really about the same time that Jill came on, right? I mean, yeah. you were involved a little bit earlier, but yeah. um yeah, I'll let you talk about the corporate team. Yeah, mm. yeah, because I ended up, I, I got involved pretty early on, but again, I thought I was going to be just a franchisee, um, but there was, there's so much work to be done, and so I kind of just started pitching in and helping here and there, and that was pretty soon thereafter is when Bennett put the opportunity in front of me to let me buy, buy in as a partner, and, but obviously, you can have the best model in the world. It can be easy. It can be profitable. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to make it happen. You have to be able to execute, so we saw really early on the importance of putting together their correct team. And that's something Bennett's been super awesome about is recruiting the right people. And we really needed experts in all the different facets of our organization, because really it's, we're not so much a bakery, you know, people think dirty dough and they think cookies, they think cookie shop bakery. Um, to be honest, there, there's really a lot of elements of manufacturing um, that would, would describe dirty dough better. Um, and so right off the bat, we needed somebody who's been there, done that, who has been in franchising, who has grown a company um, on a large scale. And so that person was Jill Summerhays. We got in contact with her and, and basically reached out to her and offered to let her run the company because um, we needed somebody who's done it before. And so we offered her the CEO position, um, which somehow by some miracle she accepted. I still am <laughs> like, I have no idea how we got her because she, uh, I'll go ahead. <laughs> Now I was just going to go over her background, but you're yeah, no, no, she she has an amazing uh, resume. She she created a brand called the uh, Maui Wowie, took it from zero franchises to over 680 franchises over the course of about 20 years, but she sold that to a brand called Kahala Brands just recently, yeah. and uh, they're the same one that bought out Cold Stone Ice Cream. So she knows what it's like to take a uh, uh, franchise from zero franchises to almost a thousand franchises and then sell that off and, and be really successful with it. She also was a part of another franchise called Totally Nuts. Um, she was doing some, um, some consulting and then Totally Nuts basically offered to let her run their company as well. And uh, so that's who we poached her from. So I feel bad for Totally Nuts, but I'm extremely happy that we got her because again, she knows how to steer the ship. Yeah. Um, but obviously, like I said, we need experts in all the different areas. So overproduction, uh, Josh Steele, who's actually the person who connected Bennett and I, but he has been working for a company um, that just recently started a foods division in their company. And in two years, a little bit less than two years, he took them from having absolutely no revenue because they didn't even have a foods division to just under 70 million gross and uh, built out their entire system, their process, ran it for them. And so one of the top guys you can find in, in production. And then he introduced us to a guy named Ivan, who is going to be our VP of shipping and logistics. He, um, over the last decade or so, has been running his own shipping and logistics company, which does 50 million. Yeah, they did 50 million last year, like already mm. has channels nationwide. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Huge networks. And so he, he runs all of the shipping and how we're going to get the cookie dough from the warehouse to the franchisees, because really the success of our model depends on our ability to produce the cookie dough in a cost-effective way and to ship that cookie dough to the franchisees. And we have some of the best guys you can possibly find to do that for us. Mm -hmm. And then another, another huge need we had was franchise support. Um, because we got to make sure that our franchisees are having a good experience. They're able to build out their 
their stores in a cost-effective way and, and get them open and, and do that quickly. And so we, we have Melissa Bolt, who actually worked with Jill for about 10 years at Maui Wowie, was her VP of operations. And we brought her in to be franchise support. So mm-hmm. we have an, an excellent team. We have an awesome model, but now we have the team to execute that model and, and really make it happen. Yeah, I like that. And, and by the way, Jill is a beast. She's awesome. She's ruthless. And I She's love it. <laughs> She's awesome, man. Holy cow. And then with that too, like with having a good team, I think it's important for like, uh, you know, the franchisees to know, like, um, you know, when I, when I did a couple of my sales, when we did this at first, um, we went to that welcome call mm-hmm. and we had, we've had like almost every welcome call we have, right. We have like Jill, Melissa, Ivan, we got everybody on there you know, the team, there's like 10 of us on there. And every time we get on there, every franchisee is always like, dude, I can't believe like I, we've had people who've come from other franchises, mm-hmm. you know, who own other franchises, non-food related come in our welcome call. And they're like, I haven't seen this at even the franchise I'm with right now. Yeah. You're not having that welcome call and just knowing that that supports there. I mean, it takes years and decades to build out something like this, right? Yeah. yeah. We're into this literally a year, but yeah. Jill's been doing it for 39 years. Melissa has been doing it for a decade. Yep. Ivan's been doing it for decades, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then our advisor, same thing. Like it's let's hire to pe- let's hire people that have been there, done that, that we want to hire to where we're going rather than where we're at. Yeah. So it was a little backwards, right? <laughs> you usually kind of scale slowly, but we're like, man, this is such a good opportunity. People are gonna come in, there's gonna be competitors. Um, but let's raise that barrier of entry to those competitors by investing heavily. I mean, we're into this over two million dollars before we even had a franchise open. Wow. Because you have, it's, it's not just, Hey, I have a concept. Here's my branding. Go, go do it yourself. It's like, I need a production facility. I need heavy machines and large mixers. I need trucks, right? Yeah. We need logistics figured out. We need, and, and and we just wanted to do it the right way the first time. So yeah, people come on (laughs) from other franchises and I mean, I would say go, go find any brand that has a hundred stores open that has a more experienced team than us, right? That'd be hard right. to do. Yeah. And even though we only have five stores open right now, we have a team that can support, you know, the, the goal is a thousand franchises. Yeah. So yeah. right now I think we're at around 175 franchises sold. We're into it nine months, I think. And they're just, I mean, yeah, you know, you know more than yeah, me, man. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, been a war- yeah. I haven't worked this hard since my freaking <laughs> car days, man. You've, no, been, but <clears throat> you've been on to, it's six, seven weeks now. Yeah, and, yeah. At the time of this dude, recording. And, yeah. and done how many stores? Dude, like 35, 40. It's crazy. Like that. Dude, it's <laughs> yeah. banana. And, and usually that's many... what a salesperson will do in two well, years. Well, yeah, we're talking, yeah. To, yeah. talking to Steve, some of their guys' quotes. I'm like, quotes, I'm like, whenever I, whenever it burns out here, I go to see Steve. I'm just kidding. But, and, and we've had, I mean, a ridiculous amount of inquiries too. Lately. Hundreds. The, the momentum is Hundreds. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, all, it, you can, I to tell people all the time, like you can't pay it for this kind of publicity that we've had lately, man. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, let, let's bananas. touch on that. This, yeah. <laughs> We're getting sued by Crumble. We are, yeah, that's right. I've that's been right, like Crumble's <laughs> biggest fan of it on freaking dozens of podcasts. Like Crumble's the best. They have such a good model. And now I'm like, <laughs> and then you, get you actually analyze their numbers. <laughs> and they, yeah, I don't they think it's here to stay, but who cares? They're a great, great brand, but they're suing us. They don't like that we use a rectangular box. They don't like we do rotating flavors. The whole lawsuit's a joke. Call me about it. I'd love to t- <laughs> love to talk about it. Talk but, to- yeah. I mean, we've gotten, we did some billboards and some billboards wars with them. And I'm telling you, 50 personal messages from LinkedIn yeah. every day because I post and it gets yeah. hundreds of thousands of views. And just because we're in the spotlight right now, and so many attorneys reach out and they're just like, you have nothing to worry about. 
Yeah. <laughs> they don't yeah. have like you can't trademark. Anyways, I don't want to get into the lawsuit. I just wanted to mention <laughs> what we were talking about. Right, right, right. <clears throat> the lawsuit's been very helpful for us. We've sold. I mean, people are seeing we're getting sued and like, oh, that doesn't bother me. Bother me. I want to buy five franchises, and our average yeah. franchise is in the low two hundred thousand. So like, they're coming in with like, I think this lawsuit's bogus, and mm. here's a million dollars that I'm betting on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like cool. Thanks for believing in us, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's how we've grown so fast. Like, I mean, 175 locations that we've sold, um, is, is pretty rare, but I think it's, people are looking at, man, this is a cool model. Mm-hmm. We're lowering the risk for them as much as possible by investing in them upfront where other companies, again, nobody else is investing 2 million before you start up a brand, but we are because we want it to be a seamless experience for them. Not saying it will be, right? We're going to have hiccups and we have hiccups. We're still a startup, but we want to mitigate as much as possible as we can. And that people are really jumping in. And these are qualified buyers. They, you know, one group owns a hundred plus franchises already. And they're coming in. A lot of other people, you know, they own a dozen franchises here or whatever. um, Because they're just seeing this as a really, really good model. Um, And we've gotten very lucky to have very quality franchise franchises. Well, to sign yeah. up with us. And that's what I was going to touch on too is <clears throat> it was interesting to see from the very beginning a lot of franchisees were kind of the friends and family, personal mm-hmm. network. They we met them and they want to do one or two franchises. As we've gotten all this exposure, as we've added members of the corporate team, we've expanded the the warehouse capabilities, the production capabilities, as we've actually opened stores and had a proof of concept. Our stores have been doing incredibly well. And we've seen not only the quantity of franchise inquiries coming in, but the quality as well. We have these people wanting to come in and do 5, 10, 15 franchises. We've had people ask about securing the rights to an entire state, wanting to do 100 (laughs) franchises. I mean, it's crazy. A lot. A lot of people wanted to buy an entire state. (laughs) Wyoming. (laughs) <laughs> and freaking Hawaii, uh, which is smaller, Hawaii, Texas, yeah. Texas Florida, Michigan, yeah. um, someone who wants to do a hundred, get the rights to a hundred in yeah. the West area, Indianapolis. And yeah, it, it really bananas. is because, I mean, and, and the crazy thing is we saw it from, you know, everyone <laughs> saw the great team, saw the great model. Everyone was kind of waiting for a little bit of a proof of concept to see if we could open the vineyard store was the first one we opened to see if we could open that deliver in a, a timely manner in a cost-effective way and to see if it would actually go well and it went really really well yeah which all of a sudden you see all these billboards from our uh you know from our good friends over at crumble pop-up all over (laughs) i-15 and and, but really what it did was it it proved the model and it showed that this really is the real deal and and the momentum caught and now we have all these uh all these different uh inquiries coming in from really amazing groups But honestly, a lot of it too, it's been super cool to see it from the momentum standpoint of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the store was super successful and it's done really well, but we have a lot of really cool messaging behind it. We have a lot of really, really uh, cool things that Dirty Dough is standing for. Ben has done an incredible job at getting a lot of awareness out there and, and getting a lot of people on board. Yeah. Tell us about the mission behind Dirty Dough. I know you wanted to touch yeah, on Yeah. So that. about the same time I was looking into Crumble, um, I came across a podcast by Jonathan Haidt. He's talking, he's, he's doing the correlation, talking about the correlation between um, social media, depression, anxiety, self-harm. Right? Yeah, wasn't like, he the, isn't he the author of The Coddling of the American Mind? Yes. Is that who it is? Okay, cool. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, so go ahead. He, he's being interviewed <clears throat> and I see this graph pop up on the screen and he goes, Some, sometimes, you know, people say, oh, well, this rise in anxiety and depression is just because we're comfortable talking about it. It can be attributed to that, not social media. And he goes, well, what about the hospitalization rates? Like people going into the hospital 
because they harmed themselves. It went up from 2010 to 2015 in young girls. It's like six to 12, something like very young. It went up 189%. And that's like, what? I have a two-year-old daughter at the time. I have a newborn daughter. What do you do? You know, like nobody knows that their child's dealing with something. So I, it just scared me. I didn't know what to do. Year later, I had a family member in sixth grade, elementary school, had a suicide attempt. And it's just like, what? I didn't know what suicide was when I was in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. Another big shock. And then my daughter starts watching YouTube, a really good YouTube channel, um, just a dad playing with his daughter. But very quickly, like within a matter of weeks, she's, it's already, hey, daddy, I want what this person has. Daddy, this person got to go here. Daddy, this person's dad took them. And I'm like, well, that's not real. Like, do you see yeah. that girl's fighting with her siblings? <laughs> do you see her getting put in timeout? Do you see her crying? Like, it's not real. And that's what his point was, is happiness is expectations versus reality. Our expectations keeps going higher because I see Dalton on Instagram and Dalton lives the perfect Instagram life. <laughs> right. But my reality is the same. So now you look like I, where I should be, but I'm not there and I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to be anxious about it. I'm not doing what other people are doing. And it just, man, it's just killing our freaking, the mental health of our youth. I, and again, th th this came out pretty much after us, right? Mm -hmm. This was a lot later when it went widespread. Um, but that's the big thing is like, how do we get in front of people and teach them to be proactive rather than reactive on their mental health. Well, dirty dough means the dough's dirty. Why? Because we have more mix-ins, we have more fillings, we do two-layer cookies, three-layer cookies. And it's like, and it's the opposite of the comp competition, right? Crumble is the Instagram cookie. It has to look perfect. And I'm like, life's, life's not perfect. Why would we make a perfect-looking cookie? Life is dirty, it's messy, and it's imperfect, but it can be enjoyed that way. These cookies are dirty, messy, and imperfect, but I promise you they taste freaking good. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah, supposed do, to man. spread that message of don't wait for perfection. So kind of going <laughs> overall vision of Dirty Dope, mission statement is to find joy and fulfillment despite life's dirtiness in ourselves and others. We want to be happy. We want to be fulfilled. Fulfillment typically comes from contributing to something larger than ourselves. Despite life's dirtiness is don't wait for you to sell the company. Don't wait for the next promotion. Don't wait for XYZ to happen to be happy and fulfilled. It can be had now. For, focus on yourself first and then focus on as many people as possible. So that's primary goal of Dirty Dope. We pay for this program for all of our employees. And as corporate, we even pay like for Wade's franchisees mm -hmm. to be part of this mental health um, kind of proactive guiding. I mean, they can get on there. They can do, they can learn what therapy is because most people are scared. Like they don't know what it is, mm -hmm. right? They can see what it is and then they can schedule a call but they can kind of ease their way in it. They can start doing meditation, guided meditation, happiness mindset, breathing exercises. They can get a coach about finances, right? About sleeping better, about fitness, about exercising. And it's like, let's get these employees. We know these are teenagers, right? They're not going to be with us forever, nor do we want them to. But in the one to three years that they're with us, let's improve their lives and make them better people, better members of society. So that's how we're focusing on the mental health on that aspect of our employees. And then kind of a general public one is the messaging dirty dough we mm -hmm. know what's on the inside matters most like go in <laughs> yeah. there that's yeah. what our store says that's what our box yeah. says, says. Yeah. one says life's messy and that's okay right <laughs> proudly unique inside and out perfectly imperfect in touch with our feelings yeah but like that, cookie yeah. feelings yeah when i was at the saint george location it was like all it's all these it yeah that one says we care about your feelings you yeah know? it's <clears> cute <throat> it's fun but it has a message behind yeah, it. yeah but it's for real and it's for yeah. real so that's what we're doing and then we're converting old classrooms in k-12 through schools into wellness centers and a wellness center going back to coddling the american mind 
it's not a safe space. Like, yeah, you're safe in there, but it's it's not about avoiding the the dangers in life and avoiding the bullies <laughs> and avoiding all of that. Yeah. As soon as you leave this this wellness center, right, you're gonna get your key, your teeth kicked in. How do we help you do that? So, how do you change your physiological state through breathing? Mm-hmm. What is anxiety? It's focusing on something that hasn't happened yet, probably won't happen. Yeah. So, how do we be present? Well, let's do some guided meditation, maybe, right? And there's just different things you can do yeah. that I practice and have bettered my life that I never knew existed as a kid. So, that's what these wellness centers are. And for every franchise that we open, we want to open up one wellness center. And we're planning on funding those through corporate, through the franchisee, through the schools, sending business, you know, doing a fundraiser night, doing mm-hmm. Amazon wish list. Like we have the, the program built out, um, but we want to make a much bigger impact than just let's sell cookies. It actually, I mean, our mission statement has nothing to do with cookies. Yeah. We're not after making the world's best cookie. Like we want a good product, but really what we're after is spreading the message of being proactive with mental health with the intention and hope that people can be happier and more fulfilled in life. And then the secondary goal is lowering the barrier of entry to entrepreneurship. I, I've always been an entrepreneur and I love it. You know, I control my own hours. I do what I want to do. I work hard. I'm passionate about it. Um, what do you need to be an entrepreneur? You need a game plan. You need time, expertise, and you need money. The game plan, this is the franchise model. You know, we're giving you that. The, French, uh, the, the money, we're required you know, again, I've, I kind of went over this before, but we're yeah. half the cost because we don't need the mixers. We don't need the space. Right. We don't need a lot of those things that the competitors need. So we can open these up for half the cost. I mean, through an SBA loan, you know, some of our franchisees are coming in with 30, 40, 50 grand and having a cash flowing business. And it's like, that's really cool that yeah. we gave you that, you know, we partnered with you to, to yeah. have that more. Like, <laughs> right. But it's like, we created that model and it's working for people. Um, and that's really cool. So to not have to own your own job, keep doing what you're doing, as long as you know how to run a business, then this is one of the most simple businesses you're gonna find. So let's get more people involved in entrepreneurship that otherwise wouldn't have been in entrepreneurship. I mean, that's cool to me, like providing more jobs and helping other people provide more jobs to other people. Well, and to to bring what you said before, right? Like another big thing of entrepreneurship is either you, is either like an exit or scalability, Mm -hmm. right? And like, you can either exit a dirty dough but like you mentioned earlier, Bennett, it's so much easier to scale because if you're like, hey, in six months, you're like, man, I like this. It's working. Let's do another one. You call up Dalton <laughs> yeah. and I'll get you another one. <laughs> you know, well, but, it, but that's last. right. While exactly. supplies <laughs> But like, that's a big, that's a big deal. People are like, once you get into a business, it's easy to start one, harder to scale it. Right. Yes. And I was talking to somebody on my podcast before where it's like, it, that that's the idea, right? Is it's hard, it's hard to start one or it's easy to start one, hard to scale, but it's, hard to do just one. It's easier to have more than one business at a time. So it's this uh, paradox and, and franchising that model kind of relieves that paradox. It's actually, I mean, if you open up five in one area, yeah. your labor's down now if you do it correctly, right? Right. Oh, pull, yeah. Pulling employees from one store to go to another store, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and you're yeah. having a general manager and then assistant manager per store. Yep. Yeah. These stores are running at t- on 10 to 15 total employees on payroll. Right. right. So a shift lead to a Taco Bell is the same as a manager to us, right? How about just do one general manager and then a shift lead slash assistant manager per store and boom, your labor costs are even lower because there's just less going on. So a lot of these groups, like the average person is buying four stores. Yeah. That's lowering their cost of good or their cost of of labor even further, which is really cool. And and how can you do that as a normal business owner, right? Like that's really hard to do. I want to start four of my business at the same time that you just do one right yeah. and then you take your time but now you can do 
four at the same time. And that's pretty intense. Right. And so, so when somebody buys it, um, we're talking about like onboarding, right? Like when somebody comes in there, what, what is that process like, Wade? Well, and that's, that was the difficult thing for me to figure out because, you know, Bennett, he, uh, he bought into Dirty Dough when Tyler Peary had already opened it and, and was working with him. And so really Vineyard was kind of the first store that this group, this team had opened. And so we were developing that and we wanted to see what, what does that look like to actually get one of these open <laughs> and then to go do it for four to for five stores, you know? And so essentially what we did is we built out a checklist and we wanted to have a complete turnkey system so the franchisees can come in and get a store open and know exactly what to do. One of the hardest parts of it all is just knowing what to do. <laughs> a lot of our franchisees have the capability, they have the experience, they have the know-how. It's just channeling that into going out and getting it done the right way. So what we did is we built what's called the Dirty Dough Admin Portal. That's where the franchisees are going to be ordering their cookie dough, their toppings, their drizzles, their packaging. It's kind of a one-stop shop for everything that happens between corporate and between the franchisee. It's a centralized mm -hmm. location. Part of that is on there, there will be a tab called My Franchise, and there will be a, a sub-tab called the Build-Out Checklist that has around 120 steps on it. And on each step, there's a description of what the step is, a how-to video, uh, action link. So, for example, if they need to sign a document and upload it, there's an upload document um, with the... Uh, the document they need to sign. If it's a fee, they can pay the fee through there with a credit card or ACH. If it's just a simple checkbox of, hey, I've completed this, then they can just click a checkbox. Each time they complete one of those items, it gets sent to someone on the corporate team, the appropriate person that would be dealing with it, for them to review it and either say, yes, you did it correctly or no, you didn't do it correctly. And what that provides us is a centralized location for all of their progress and information. So everyone on the franchisee team and everyone on the corporate team knows exactly what progress has been made and it just makes it flow way easier. But what that also enables us to do is get the franchisees in touch with the necessary third-party vendors that we use. For example, most locations are gonna wanna use a laundry service to clean the mop heads and the aprons and the rags. Most franchisees are going to wanna get connected with a security camera service or with um, our POS system, Toast. And rather than them having to go out and stumble in the dark and try and figure that out on their own, <laughs> We have all of the contact information there. We have all the people they need to reach out to, the process of how to get that done. And it just makes it go so much smoother and easier. Mm -hmm. So the build-out process on these, we're going to get it to the point where someone could literally sit at their desk in California <laughs> and open a franchise in Ohio because we have enough third-party vendors where if they actually wanted to, they could just have third-party vendors go out and do all of their work as far as starting their store. We're mm -hmm. not quite there yet, but it, it'll get there. It's it's getting pretty sweet, and we're yeah. going to develop a checklist for after they've opened the store as far as getting the store up to speed and where it needs to be quality-wise. Mm -hmm. But what that's going to enable us to do is just scale. We're going to grow incredibly quickly because now the, we've enabled the franchisees to go out and get it done themselves. They can go out and use those checklists to get the store open and then get the store up to where it needs to be as far as what it's producing. Yeah. And I've had a lot of people, they're like, okay, well, I know how to run a business. How do you get permits? And I'm like, I don't know. Go to Wade's checklist. <laughs> you know <laughs> right. what I mean? But it's like, those are the questions that you, like, if you've never been in food, you just don't know what to ask. Like, yeah, you, you have to have a sanitation bucket somewhere, right? And <laughs> it's like, here's the game plan for the franchise. But we want to say, here's the game plan in every piece yeah. to resolve that. And Wade also built, I mean, he's done an incredible job on the admin portal. 
we also have data analytics built into it. So mm -hmm. predictive ordering, how many cookies do you need to order based yeah. on what the rotation is, what is the combination of all of that. So again, it's like, here's what is recommended to order. And based on that many cookies, we recommend you ordering this amount of toppings and this amount of drizzles. Yeah. So just really trying to make, I mean, the goal's always been the world's simplest food franchise model. Yeah. And man, if we're not there, we're getting pretty damn close. <laughs> yeah. It's it's going. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I, and I would say one of the biggest one of the biggest criticisms, or I wouldn't even necessarily a criticism, probably one of the biggest questions the franchisees have, or really anyone has on our model is, well, that sounds amazing to be able to have three employees in the store versus 12. That sounds amazing to have half the space. I mean, the profitability, th this all sounds too good to be true. And then they'll say, oh, but how do you know how much cookie dough that you need? Because what if you order too little? What if you order too much? Right. Too much, you're wasting it too little, you're not selling anything. And so what we did is we hired a third-party analytics company. They specialize in analyzing data. And so what they'll be able to do is link into everybody's POS system to track which cookies are selling and which are not. They can get it all the way down to what times during the day are cookies selling, <laughs> what days of the week, what holidays do better, you know, what external factors, like is there a game, you know, nearby? And, and what does that do? You know, a college football game, does it increase sales or not? And they'll even be able to get it all the way down to the cookie dough bases themselves. So yeah. they'll be able to look at chocolate cookie dough, sugar cookie dough, brown sugar, and peanut butter cookie dough. On average, how many do they each sell? Yeah. And then they'll be able to give the franchisees extremely accurate. You know, the way the, yeah. the data analytics company put it is scary accurate. <laughs> they um, do get scary, bro. Some they, of they the, really pff, do. That data. The statistics don't lie. And so yeah. they'll be able to dial it into the point where the franchisees will know how much they should order and they should always be ordering just, you know, as a precaution, yeah. 10, 15% extra. Because the beautiful thing of what they can do with that um, and what we've noticed as we've opened these stores is when people come in for catering orders, mm -hmm. they really don't care what cookies they're getting. So if you have leftover cookies, you use that for your catering mm -hmm. because then it doesn't deplete your current inventory. And so if someone comes in and says, I want 500 cookies, which has happened, several times so far isn't that crazy yeah it, that's it, wild we'll, we'll, we'll have people come in and say i want 300 400 <laughs> 500 cookies and that would honestly deplete a huge part of our inventory but because i had leftover cookies from the week before we can use those leftovers and just do an assortment mm -hmm. and now mm -hmm. it hasn't depleted our inventory now so yeah yeah if it doesn't i mean because we can't use that you know so what happens if we do too much even with data analytics right or too little well we do our rotations on friday so that means yeah. you'll never go into a weekend without running out of cookies will you run out of cookie maybe on a wednesday yeah that'll happen but that's why we do four permanent and four rotation yeah so even if you run out of one or two i mean you still have six cookies oh, now yeah. on friday just like the competition goes you go to their rotation like oh new rotation today You'll see last week's rotation. You can always just keep yeah. your cookies out. And instead of selling eight for the first few days, you're actually selling 10. Yeah. And then we also do mobile franchising, which I'll, I, I know we need to wrap up here, but <laughs> mobile franchising is like, you can't this find somebody better than Jill as far as mobile franchise. She invented the model worldwide. Like mobile franchising didn't exist before Jill. Yeah. And she went through a lot of attorneys and like, no, franchising is location-based. She's like, no, I want to make it event-based. And man, she blew it up. Yeah. So talking about lowering the barrier of entry, mobile franchise, it, you know, I'm saying dirty doughs, brick and mortar, all in franchise fee, equipment, build out, tech yeah. package, all that, you know, around 200, low 200s. Um, when you add on inventory, maybe it's, you know, 230,000. Yeah. Well, mobile's less than half of that. Dude, seriously. And then what are your fixed costs? You don't even have a lease payment anymore, no, right? No, dude, you're, you it's freezer a cash space. cow, bro. But, and then you hit up these events and I went to one when BYU played USC. Uh-huh. 
and there was a cookie trailer. They sell these mini, slightly burnt, only chocolate chip cookies. And they were selling them for the price of what we would charge. It weighed 4.2, the, the same weight as 4.2 of our cookies. So yeah. basically four bucks. They're selling yeah. for 25 bucks. Absolutely. Like, there's, and people were. Twi- <laughs> they had, I couldn't even try these cookies because there was two trailers, lines so long that I'm like, I'm going to miss the game. Well, I found them another day and I went and asked them their numbers, right? And they're yeah. like, yeah, we do about 11,500 per trailer. That night we sold out in under three hours and went home. I'm like, what? Three hours of work and you went home. They, they, they worked three hours and sold $23,000 between the Get two trailers. Get the freak out of here. Then they here, left. Bro. Somebody Food else just told, me, bomb, somebody just told me the Minnesota State Fair, they do two to $3 million yeah, the Iowa, sales in 10 days. The Iowa State Fair. I'm like, get out. The yeah, Iowa crazy. State Fair probably does more than that, bro. I remember going to the Iowa State Fair as a little kid and getting five-gallon buckets of that crap. Yeah. yeah. And they were just, bro. And, and it's the fair. It's like an airport. You can charge whatever so, the hell you want. Yeah. yeah. So, so we do mobile franchising as well. So it's a very good pair. Like, buy five, you know, buy an area of five and buy a mobile uh, franchise mm-hmm. that you're hitting up all of those events. And then that also helps with inventory as well, right? Throw yeah. whatever inventory you could maybe air a little bit more on over ordering because yeah. the mobile one, the you mobile just will just take yeah whatever you get. Um, but yeah, the mobile, the mobile is pretty cool. So, so that's even again going back to the entrepreneurship. If somebody just wants to buy a mobile franchise, yeah. that's a great business to run to you know to kind of get started. It's a lot. It's like I said, you can lease this trailer with like <laughs> almost nothing down, uh, and just like boom, you have a, a, trailer, yeah, a trailer that you can take around. Yeah, and you can do lots, lots of good sales in that thing. That's insane. So, so sum it up for us, Bennett. What do we need to do? Like, what, what, how do we move on from here? Like, what do we, what do we, what do you want us to do? For Dirty Dough, yeah, our website man, <laughs> head of Dalton. That's um, right. No, we we have the yeah Dal- Dalton's head of sales, and we hired him. Thinking, man, is, are we going to give Dalton enough work? And now, thirty-five stores <laughs> oh later, gosh. I can't. Uh, thirty-five and, and, stores, and now later. we have four salespeople, yeah, and we're trying yeah. to hire another one. And yeah, that Dalton's dude. managing. Exactly, um, it's bananas. So he went from a salesperson to a sales manager over four, now almost five people in less than two months. That's right, month dude, and a half. Bananas. Um, but yeah, you can apply on the website dirtydo.com, uh, dirtydocookies.com as well. And then there's a franchising button or reaching out directly to Dalton, but. Um, and then we kind of take you through all the steps. I mean, really the biggest issue we're having right now is territory. Yeah. Like, Hey, here's the territories. They're going really quick because it's hard to find, um, a model that we've done. And I think it's because it's hard. We, we just, we just went full, full into this. Like, yeah. this is going to work. We have faith in this. Let's get top tier talent. Let's get the production. Let's get the waste. Let's get everything perfectly yeah. and spare no expense. Because if we could make this work, man, what kind of change can we have in the world? on the mental health level, on building these wellness centers, on lowering the barrier of entrepreneurship, providing more jobs. Mm-hmm. Like that's the vision of Dirty Dough. Mm-hmm. And we're just using cookies to get there because cookies are fun, they're profitable, they're, <laughs> they're good. Comfort food, man. They're yeah, comfort they're food, comfort right? Food, yeah. um, but again, that's not what we're after at all, but cookies are just helping us get there. Amen. Well, hey, thank you guys so much for joining me. Yeah. I know you got to go. Thanks, Appreciate Dalton. It. Thanks so much. <laughs> See ya.